You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours this day in Christ, who welcomes us into his story. You may be seated. For all the saints, great choice of a cover, too. It captures Revelation chapter 7 that we're looking at. So I have a great love for the book of Revelation. I'm not an expert on it. Don't ask me about everything, what everything means. But I love the book. I think the reason is because it, because of its kind of story nature of it. You know, stories, um, stories are the stuff of life, you might say. They help us make sense of the world. The truth comes to us in stories, form. However, falsehoods also come to us in story form. Therefore, it's crucially important that we have the true story in our hearts and our minds, and that we live into and in the light of the true story. The power of the true story is to, gives us, it, it teaches and guides and empowers us. When I was in eighth grade and in confirmation instruction with my pastor, Pastor Armin Schaefer, I was listening, kind of. But something caught my attention, and it grabbed hold of me. It's grabbed hold of me ever since. We're talking the third article, and he talked about the, that we are part of the church militant. The church militant. And that we are in a war. And we're in a daily battle in that war. And we have spiritual enemies. Wow, I just woke up. I'd never heard that before. And it just fascinated me. And then he said, and we look forward to being a part of the church triumphant, where there will be victory and rest, and the, the outcome assured. So the church militant and the church triumphant. The book of Revelation is written to the church militant in order that they might live in light of the church triumphant. And so, portions of Revelation have just taken on tremendous meaning to me, and I've sought to, to memorize just little snippets of it. 
for instance, from, from chapter 1. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So why did I bother memorizing that? It takes forever. I'll tell you why. Because I needed it. I needed it in my heart and mind. And it's been doing its work deep inside of me ever since. Another portion that I worked on is Revelation 22. And I saw the new heavens and the new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and he himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain. For the first things have passed away. And he was sat on the throne and said, I am making all things new. Why did I memorize that? I memorized that because I needed that. I needed that in my heart and mind, deep downtown inside of me, that I might live in an energized, faithful way in the daily battle of life. So we have our, our text from Revelation today. I'm going to be looking at, you don't have verse numbers, I don't think, but 9 through 17, the second part of it. I want you to think of it because it really is. It's an answer to a question. The question is found in the last verse of chapter 6. And there's a, there's a, the question is, who can stand? Who can stand? Why is that question there? Because of what happens in chapter 6. It's the, the unsealing of the seven seals, and all this stuff goes on. And it's just so staggering. The question is, who can stand? Chapter 7 tells us. But also before that, chapters 2 and 3, we have seven real-life congregations with real people in them. And they make real decisions. They made real decisions, some good, some very bad. The question is, looking at their example, who can stand? So that's the question. And, and chapter 7 gives us the answer. 
The Lamb's people can stand. The Lamb's people can stand. See, what we have in these verses we're going to look at here in a minute is a, is a church triumphant preview to give courage and hope to us who are in the church militant. So, I'll ask you, who can stand? Let's let the scriptures tell us, answer it. Three things. Who can stand? The Lamb's people. They're innumerable, and they're filled with gratitude and praise. Here again, these words, after this, I looked and behold, a, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Who can stand? The Lamb's people can stand. Can't even count how many there are. And they're filled with gratitude, thanksgiving, and heartfelt praise. Who can stand? Secondly, the answer is the Lamb's people who have been won through the sacrificial work of the Lamb. The next couple of verses. Then one of the elders asked me, saying, who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said, sir, you know. He said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Who can stand? The Lamb's people who have been won. the sacrificial work of Christ. Their robes were besmirched with sin, but they're made white in the blood of the Lamb. Our robes besmirched in our sin, they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. We share that with those who have gone before. Who can stand? Thirdly, the Lamb's people who will enjoy life with God forever. Listen once again. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will will wipe every tear from their eyes. Who can stand? The Lamb's people will enjoy life with God forever. 
Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Well, that, brothers and sisters, that is the story. That is the story, the true story, the true story that stands amid all the false stories that bombard us every day. False stories. What, what, what am I talking about? What, what I mean by false stories? Let me mention six of them. First being the, there is no story story. The, there is no story story. What do I mean by that? It's a story that we are just um, a product of random chance. We are a cosmic accident. There is no story. We just, it's just, we're here. That's all that is. That's it's a no story story. And so all that is left, and this is the idea behind critical theory, is it's just all about power. It's all that's left. Because there is no story. It's just all about power. Secondly, there's the now is all there is story. And a lot of these overlap. I, I realize that, but I'm just trying to make a point. There's the now is all there is story. And we even see references to that in the New Testament because it, it, it contrasts and says, there are those who say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now is all there is. Remember the, the commercial from decades ago, I guess? You only go around once, grab all the gusto you can. That's that story. Thirdly, there's the, you are the center of the universe story. You are the center of the universe story. And for an object lesson for that, you all have one. You're all carrying a smartphone. A smartphone is telling you, you are the center of the universe. You can open it up and find out who's the president of Paraguay. Somebody mentioned this morning coming out of a church at Messiah. Yesterday he opened his phone as he wanted to watch a college football. And he says, what college football is being broadcast today? And the voice said, there are 127 games. Which one do you want? Something like that. It'll tell you what every stock is doing, every commodity. It'll tell you a review of any kind of car that's on the market. It'll, well, I can go on and on. But it's, it's a message. It's all for you. All this is right there for you. You are the center of it all. Pretty intoxicating. There's the enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life story. Enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life story. 84% of Americans hold that as their story. That's what life is all about. Enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. And here, even a little scarier, 66% of church-going Americans say that's their story. They're just enjoying yourself. That's what life is all about. 
There's the to find yourself, look within yourself story. To find yourself, look within yourself. That there's no truth outside of yourself. There's no objective story. There's no objective source of truth that gives us a sense of who we are and a purpose in life. That's held by 91% of Americans. To find yourself, look within yourself story. And six, there's the, there's the there is no right or wrong outside of personal preference story. That's just whatever you decide. That's the source of right and wrong. And that's just six. We could come up with lots, lots more. You get the idea. But the question I ask you, Emmausites, what story are you living into? What story is guiding your life? What story is shaping you? What story is, is inspiring you? What story is motivating you? And this must be most important. What story is informing the decisions you're going to make this coming week? See, it's important. The story you're living into determines the outcome of your life. The story you're living into determines the outcome of your life. So this is incredibly important. And that's why the book of Revelation is so important. Because it tells us of the big story in which we live. And we see the outcome. So, the real story. What, what does it look like? What do we... How do, how do you live into this, this big story that we are describing here, the book of Revelation describes? Let me suggest four things. <laughs> we live into the real story when we see that there is a story, first. That there is a story. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. It's not just an endless cycle like Buddhism says. Hinduism. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. And we're to live in the light of the end. We live into the real story. Secondly, when we remember that the end of the story for the child of God, the Lamb's people, is a story of, of victory and joy and beauty beyond we can fathom or, or dream. It's glorious, and it's happy. And when we consciously remember that, that that's, that's our story as a Lamb's people. And we live into the real story, thirdly, when we call to mind those who lived into the story in the past, in centuries and years gone by. I forgot to mention my introduction. You know what uh, 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 All Saints Day was originally called? All Martyrs Day. All Martyrs Day. To remember those who were faithful unto death 
and paid the ultimate sacrifice, and they're honored by the church. So we call to mind those who have lived into the story in the past centuries and past years, people that we have known who have been strong to the end, just resting in Christ. In my years of ministry, I just humbled to think of the privilege I've had to be with some with, with saints who, amidst enormous uh, suffering, emotional, physical, relational, uh, were, were faithful to the end. And that's an encouragement to me and motivates me to live into the story, to my last breath. We live into the real story, fourthly, when we realize we're in a daily battle. Requiring courage. So that's an inside thing. It's an attitude thing. We're in a daily battle requiring courage. Secondly, we're in a daily battle requiring faithfulness. That's on the outside. That's the decisions we make given the situation in our life the circumstance of our life, our vocation, our resources, who, who, where God has placed us, faithfulness. And we're in a daily battle requiring community. Friends, we need each other. We need like-minded people, or we just run out of steam. We need each other. We need to keep gathering. We need to encourage and challenge one another. So, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, as the scripture says, but I have a prediction. Ready? My prediction is there's a, a time of testing coming for American Christians like we've never seen in our lifetime. That's my prediction which always makes me remember the little tongue-in-cheek saying, Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what's in them until you put them in hot water. See, we're going to find out who are admirers of Jesus and who are followers of Jesus. And there's a big difference. So Revelation 7, these marvelous words that were given are provided to fortify us for a time of testing. That's what they're written for originally. That's how the church has used them for the past 20 centuries. For a time of testing starting now. Here's a couple of things we sang a little while earlier. It's a prayer. Did this bring with you, oh, may thy soldiers, faithful, true, and bold, fight as the saints who nobly fought of old, and win with them the victor's crown of gold. Alleluia. And when the fight is fierce, the warfare long steals on the ear 
the distant triumph song. Then hearts are brave again and arms are strong. Alleluia. We didn't sing it today, but we've sung it in the past. Thine the glory in the night, no more dying, only light. Thine the river, thine the tree, then the lamb eternally. Then the holy, holy, holy celebration jubilee. Thine the splendor, thine the brightness, only thee, only thee. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father, how time-oriented we are and how weighed down we are with present responsibilities and the busyness and obligations of life, the disappointments and the ambiguities, the stresses, and it's so easy to forget the big, big story. Oh, Lord God, thank you for this little glimpse from your word of our great heritage. May it resound in our hearts and minds as we go forward from time to time that we might live as people of courage and hope where you have placed us in the time and place where we are, that Jesus might be glorified and that he might smile. We pray in his mighty name, the name of the Lamb. Amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.